Hey guys, we're in a series called Everyone In, but I want to ask you a question first. Um, have you ever been just sitting in traffic? And whenever I think of traffic, I think of Tonnelly Ave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh. That's my least favorite street in all the nation. And you're sitting on Tonnelly, and it's all welled up. Okay? It's just, it's just come to a crescendo in your life. And all you, you just keep thinking of these sinful thoughts, like, what if I just hit that person just a little bit? Nothing serious. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But just enough where they kind of veer into the cement thing and they got big scratches on their car. And you just start thinking through sinful thoughts. Or you're on the Pulaski Skyway. It's called a skyway. And you're thinking to yourself, why is this called a skyway? The word skyway just makes you think that we're moving somewhere and we haven't moved in 25 minutes. Every time I'm on the Pulaski Skyway, everybody was pumped that it opened back up. They're like, yay, it's a skyway. Every time I'm on that thing, somebody blows a tire. It's like, why y'all wait to get on this two-lane highway to blow a tire? Or you're late for something. This is my favorite one. You're late for something or almost late for something, and your GPS says 1.7 miles, 47 minutes. You're like, how is this humanly possible? And, and, and it wells up from your gut, and you just let out a grunt of some sort. Some you need Jesus, and you let something else out. Uh, whatever it is, you just let something out, right? Uh, and really the main question on your mind in that moment is, why aren't we moving? Yes. Why aren't we moving? I should get it tattooed somewhere because I've said it so many times. I've screamed it so many times. Why aren't we moving? And you start thinking through, who's the culprit? Someone started the traffic. And you're picturing them. It's somebody texting. It's somebody eating their mick breakfast. They're just eating a, a dumb hash brown and they've stopped everything. You're like, why aren't we moving? And sometimes, sometimes I feel that way about Christianity, the movement of Christianity. Don't you? You just think, why aren't we moving? Like if all these things are true, why aren't we moving? And I'll ask you about these things. Let me ask you about these things. You can answer out loud. This is a responsive church. You can answer out loud. Is Jesus alive? Yes. Did Jesus put his Holy Spirit inside of us? Yeah. Is it like the junior varsity Holy Spirit? Is it like a small, no, he gives us the whole Holy Spirit. The same, the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead is inside of us. So should we not have power? Should we not be a movement? We should be moving, right? It's, it's just, if all these things are true. So you got to think, why aren't we moving? I think that all the time. Why aren't we moving? You're thinking about a friend in your life, the, the friend that Jesus has put in front of you, that they're on your heart, and you're thinking, how come me, him, and Jesus, how come we're not moving? I think about this all the time. And you have to start naturally thinking of the culprit, because the culprit's not the gospel. It's not a gospel problem. And by the word gospel, I mean the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for us, that he resurrected for us. It's not a truth problem. It's not a gospel problem. It has to be another problem. Now, we're in our, our, our new series called Everyone In, uh, and we're, we're three weeks in now. So we started out, and this is our mission, by the way, uh, if you're brand new. We started out talking about the umbrella that everyone is in. No matter where you're at in life, 
whether it's your first time stepping into a church or whether you've been here for however many years, God wants you in. He wants you to take the next step in your faith to either give your life to him or get baptized or join a missional community, get a discipleship relationship, serve on a team. He has a next step for you to be in. His calling was never for you to just sit in those seats, right? That's everyone in. And we talked about find home, first part of our mission. We want everybody, we're, we're in a city full of immigrants who don't have home physically or spiritually. And even if you're not an immigrant, even if you're not over 50% immigration in this city, you have this sense like, I need home, I need community, I need God's family, I need a father, and we want you to find home with us and with Jesus. And last week we talked about encountering Jesus. That you can, fa- you can face a lot of false Jesuses, right? You can encounter a lot of counterfeit Jesuses. But when you meet the real Jesus, the whole narrative of the Bible is everything changes in your life. And we're begging the question, are we meeting Jesus? And it is, is everything changing? This week, I want to pursue gospel change together. I want to move. I want to pursue movement. And if we're not moving, I want to ask the question, why aren't we moving? Why not? Why not? Paul faces the same question. He's in a city very much like ours, uh, in in a city called Athens. We're in chapter 17 of Acts. If you want to turn there, Acts 17 will be in verse 16. We'll start from the beginning, uh, just verse A, which the Bible sometimes breaks verses up into two pieces, uh, A and B, sometimes C. And so that's where we're going to be at. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, that's good. Uh, Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. So let's go for it. Paul, again, is in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was, you say it, full of idols. And he's not kidding. This city, folks, let's go to ancient Athens together. This city is magnificent. It's filled with big metropolis, acropolis-type buildings, just state-of-the-art architecture all over the place, and they're all dedicated to different gods, right? This is what he's seeing as he walks around. This is the temple of Hephaestus. Hephaestus, I think that's how you say it. I'm going to say it with confidence so that you believe me. Temple of Hephaestus, right? Go back, go back. Hephaestus is actually uh, the god of metal and and, uh, craftsmanship, and since you can't do any of that without fire, they just threw that into his job description. So he's also the god of fire. That's kind of what they did. Like, let's just throw this on there. Uh, this next one uh, is the temple of Athena Nike, right? Athena Nike was the goddess of victory. And if you're wondering, is that where they got that from? Yes, that's exactly where they got that from, uh, except I think they made a lot more money than Athena Nike did, okay? So uh, that's Athena Nike. Uh, the next one is, is, is the Pantheon. And the Pantheon sits on top of the Acropolis, right? And all these buildings are surrounding the Pantheon. And this one is dedicated to Athena, Athena is the patron goddess of the city. Uh, That's her right there. She she is, um, how do we put this? She's not cuddling with the other gods. So they like her a lot. They make her the patron goddess because she's a virgin. Actually, from from the first slide, Hephaestus tries to take advantage of her, and she, in a gangster way, uh, by by Greek mythology, kicks him away, right? Puts a curse on him. So, so all these gods and goddesses, they have backstories, they have job descriptions, she's the goddess of war, uh, she, she's making it happen. All of them have different lifestyles and things that they contribute, uh, and Paul is walking around and he's looking at all this, and, and let's, let's watch this. His spirit was provoked within him. 
You ever had that happen? Look, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I believe that you're full of the Holy Spirit. That God wants to fill you up with this spirit. Paul is filled with this spirit. He lines up with the spirit. And he's provoked. He's angry. He says, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. When you have God's Holy Spirit inside of you, when you have the heart for Jesus, and you see someone sitting on the pedestal that is supposed to be owned by Jesus, it makes you angry. And a good angry. It leads you to justice. He's walking around. He has love for these people. He realizes these people are giving themselves to all of these idols, and, and, and that's a problem. He wants them to know the one true Jesus, right? Something is provoked inside of you. More on that later. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Now, Stoics and Epicureans are, are very interesting folks. They're uh, the main philosophies of the day. Stoicism uh, is this focus on earnest moralism, meaning you can reach the pinnacle of virtue if you're wise enough. Kind of cool, kind of interesting, right? Earnest moralism. They didn't believe that there was one God. They believed that God was in everything. They, they, they called this, uh, what do they call this? They called this, uh, pantheistic materialism, right? So God is basically in everything, uh, and, and that means there's no sin. There's no sin. There's just falling short of that ideal virtue. So it's a chase after virtue. The Epicureans were a chase after pleasure, right? Pleasure was the beginning and the end of happiness. Now, before you judge them, pleasure to them was not lust or greed or gluttony, Pleasure to them was being one with nature. All of these philosophies, they, they target today as well, don't they? These people aren't crazy. I'm not, I'm not trying to put this out there as, uh, as they're amazing people or that they're believing something right. All of this is against God's will. What I'm trying to say is these people are rich and they're smart and they're chasing after virtue. They're not spending their time on Netflix. They're chasing after what is good in life. Paul is watching them chase after what is good in life. They, they have ancient forms of worship, and they're so dedicated to these forms of worship that they're building these buildings that are still sitting today. These people are creating, they're inventing, they're starting. They're kind of amazing people. But they don't like Paul's truth. This is Paul's truth, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with them. All right, let's, let's go down one, sorry. And some said... What does this babbler wish to say? So they don't like his truth. They call him a babbler. Now, a babbler uh, is the Greek word spermologus. And a babbler means the guy who's crazy in the marketplace and goes around and picks up scraps. That's what they just call Paul. I mean, that's a burn, just so you know. They call his idea of who God is uh, the guy who's crazy and walks around and picks up scraps. So... Push control S on that for later. We're going to come back to that word babbler. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching one God. Not only is he preaching one God, this Jesus guy, but this God goes to the cross willingly and dies for people. We got a God who has a trident. <laughs> you got a God who dies on a cross. Who's going to win here? Hmm? We got a guy who shoots stuff out of his eyeballs. We got Hercules. Hercules. 
We got Hercules and you got this Jesus who willingly goes to the cross and is crucified, seemingly losing. And then he resurrects from the dead. To them, that's some mummies type stuff here. What, what, you got a mummy? You got a mummy for a God? What's going on here? This doesn't make sense in, in their paradigm. So they invite him, watch this, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now let's skip down, because Paul obliges. This is huge. The Areopagus is where they talk about life and philosophy and, and why we breathe and who God is and if there's a God. And Paul gets to bring his reasoning to the Areopagus. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, I know it's a lot of scripture, just stick with me. We like to preach word, the word of God. Uh, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Interesting. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, these people are standing in the middle of the Greek empire. They're on this hill that overlooks everything, and they're debating the center of life. They have temples for every type of God, a God from wood-making to metal-making, from fertility to war. Some of them have become their own God because there have been many religions over time that believe if you reach the pinnacle of wisdom and virtue, then you're basically gods yourself, and so they're worshiping themselves. Some of them are worshiping, worshiping so many gods, they even have a temple to an unknown God. They're like, there's got to be some unknown ones out there, so let's just worship them. This is crazy cornucopia of gods and philosophies and ideas. And again, they're building buildings that are lasting today. And they're making empires. They're building empires. They're starting wars. They're creating ideas. And, and guess what? They can't find the answer. They can't find it. In all their human wisdom, they can't do it. And so they're creating answers. They're like, we need a god for chopping down trees. How about Chopiscus? Just put an S-U-S at the end, got ourselves a new God. So, so as brilliant and as entrepreneurial as they are, as much enterprise as they have, they're just creating answers because they don't have an answer. If Paul is going to get gospel change in this spiritual buffet, let's just call it that, right? A buffet has everything. You choose what you want. That's what, that's what he's in. The spiritual buffet. If he's going to get gospel movement, what we want, gospel change, he's going to have to be bold and specific. He can't speak to this spiritual buffet and just give them any. He, he has to be bold and specific. And I believe the same thing about Jersey City here right now, 2018. If we're going to get gospel movement, gospel change, and this week we're talking about you personally, next week we'll talk about us as as a, as a body, as a family. But this week, for you, if you're going to get gospel change in your friends and in your family, you're going to need to be bold and specific. Uh, look to a neighbor, one neighbor, and tell them you're going to need to be bold. Go ahead, tell them. Yeah, tell them. I mean, they, they got to know it. If they don't, then you got to tell them. Look at another neighbor, tell them you're going to have to be specific. You know why this is? You know why we have to be bold and specific? We live in a third answer culture. We live in a third answer culture. 
Uh, Tony, there, there's, a, there's something underneath the, the, uh, the microphone there. Can you bring that up to me? Sorry, I, I made Tony do that, and he's sitting behind a, a desk. Thanks, Chuck. We live in a third answer culture, and I'm going to prove it to you. A third answer culture means, thanks, Chuck, that, that we don't like two answers uh, or one answer, and so we create our own. Right? Have you ever been in that place where, like, I don't like these answers. I'm just going to create my own. So we live in what's called a third answer culture. Here's my proof. Uh, this is one of my kids' certificate of achievement. Certificate of achievement. I paid a lot of money, a number I was uncomfortable with, to take him to a Red Bulls camp. Uh, New York Red Bulls is a professional team, and so they come along and they do camps. And I, So I bring them to this camp, and I want my money back because they gave my kids a certificate of achievement. See, they didn't like the two answers that were provided, so they gave a third answer. They didn't keep score during any of the scrimmages, and not one kid won. Not two kids won, not five kids won. They all won, and they all got certificates of achievement. See, in competition, there's two answers, winning and losing. That's it. Once in a while, there's a tie, and we all feel gross. We're like, no, 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 no. That's not supposed to happen, right? There's winning and there's losing. But they didn't like that, and so they create games where nobody wins and where everybody gets a certificate. And again, I want my money back because, look, winning teaches you. Doesn't winning teach you? It's like, man, I, I like to win, so I'm going to practice harder. I'm going to be earnest about my craft. I, I'm, I'm going to learn how to get there early and leave late and be a teammate and contribute to the team and communicate. You like winning, so it teaches you a bunch of things. You also don't like losing, but losing teaches you just as much as winning does, if not more sometimes, right? Because you learn how to deal with failure. You learn how to deal with suffering, how to deal with pain. You learn how to deal with injury when you're, when you're losing, and you learn to adjust and categorize and persevere and get better winning and losing. Now, you may think, Justin, you're a little bit crazy. Maybe you grew up in this generation where everybody wins. And so you're like, you're being a little bit hard on your kids. Let me give you a little bit of a case study. My son, the other day, because he's been going to these camps, he loses in Uno twice. Both times, he chucks the cards in his sister's face, and he cries. Now, he's five years old, so he gets to do this. This is not about embarrassment. We all did it when we were five years old. But the point is, if we keep on taking him to these camps... He's never going to learn how to lose. He's never going to learn how to deal with disappointment. There's only two answers. We don't just get to create a new answer. And just like we are a third answer culture, Athens is a third answer culture. They don't like that there's one God, that this Paul is talking about one God who calls sin, sin. They don't like sin. They don't like to be wrong. We're a third answer culture. We don't like sin. We don't like someone telling us that we're wrong. We don't like the fact that somebody's God is right and somebody's God is wrong. I'm in the car the other day with someone who does not believe in Jesus, and he, and he asked me, what do you, what do you, what do you feel about uh, Muslims or, or, or Hinduism? And I said, I think they're wrong. And even now, you might be thinking, oh, was he okay? Because we're a third answer culture. We like to create a new, everybody's right. Every God is right. Even though there's a God of wood making and a God who dies for us on the wood. Totally different. We live in a third answer culture and so do they. 
right? They, they live in a third answer culture and it's, and it's killing them. So Paul's only answer is to be bold. Look, I can, I can prove to you that he's bold because he just got beat up in Lystra. In Lystra, he gets stoned. They think he's dead. And so they drag his lifeless body outside of the city in Lystra. This is three chapters earlier, chapter 14, if you want to look it up sometime. Uh, they, they drag his lifeless body and they're like, oh man, Paul is dead. And then Paul's like, huh? You know what he says? Take me back in. I got to preach Jesus. The answer for Paul is boldness. The other answer is specificity. Again, these people don't have a religious problem. They're all religious. They have a specific, a specific problem, a specificity problem, right? They don't know the specific God. They don't believe in the one God that can rescue them and that can save them. They're giving a certificate to everybody. Does this sound like our culture at all? To me, it sounds exactly like our culture. Even us, we fear so deeply being the babbler, huh? That it ruins our boldness and our specificity. We just decide, you know what, I don't, I don't want to offend somebody today, so I'm just going to, mm-mm. I don't want think I'm, people thinking I'm the guy who walks around the marketplace and picks up scraps. I, the, a couple months ago, um, I, I, I totally do not do this, and I told, I told the missional community that uh, God asked me to preach, uh, what's the name of that green street where everything's on? Newark. He asked me to preach on Newark while everybody was going to work. Um, I've never done that before. And I told Jesus no like six times. <laughs> no, you were just playing, right? That's me. No, I'm just telling him no. Um, and so I do it. And the whole time I'm terrified. And Jesus told me, you are so worried about being the babbler that you have lost your boldness and your specificity. And it cut me right, right there. Oh, shoot, you're right. You got me, Jesus. And I think the only thing that's going to save our culture, our people, is boldness and specificity. Now, your friends, let's talk about you for a minute, your friends, your family, they have what's called a belly full of rice. It's this gaping hole inside them that they're filling with rice. You know what rice does? Like when you eat sushi, you're like, oh man, I'm full. Ten pieces of sushi. You're like, I'm so full. Ten minutes later, you're like, I need meat. I need, I need some form of something. I need some, I need candy. Somebody give me something because I'm not full anymore. It lies about you getting the nutrients and the things that you need. It gives you a belly full of rice and, and, and you realize I'm still hungry. I'm st- I still have this emptiness inside of me, right? This is what your friends have, what your family has. They have this gaping hole that's put there by God. It can only be filled by God himself, one Jesus specifically. And people are trying to fill it with all sorts of things. And the way you're going to reach them is not this vague spirituality. It's specifically Jesus, boldly Jesus. Let's watch Paul uh, go back into this third answer culture. We'll, we'll go back and dissect it again. Verse 16, one more time. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul is provoked, right? And it's good. It's good. He's what we're going to call calculated cranky. He's cranky just enough to do something about it. To step his foot towards boldness and justice. And you have been told that your crankiness or your anger is all bad. Now some of it is. Some of it's just you yelling at people on the road. That's not good. But, but your calculated cranky, like Jesus, where it leads you to flip tables in the temple. Y'all remember that? Jesus is angry in the temple. They're using his house for a place of merchandise. They're selling more at the gift shop than they are spending time in prayer. 
And so he ain't about that life. He ain't about the worship leader putting his, his thing at the gift shop. Hey, make sure you get, get my album on the way out the door. He's not about that life. All right, now they're selling pigeons, really. But, but he's not about what, what's going on there. He's like, you need to stop selling stuff, flipping tables all over the place. You need to start praying. My father's house is a house of prayer. He's angry, right? And it's good. And it's celebrated. The Bible says, be angry. That's the translation. And do not sin. Be angry. Put yourself towards justice, toward boldness, towards movement. Now, when men get aggressive, we celebrate it. We say it's what? It's passion. Good for him. When women get aggressive, we say she's emotional. No, no, no. God gave you that. God gave you that to be bold and specific. Be angry and do not sin. Watch Jesus. I'll, I'll prove it. This is uh, Mark 3. And he said to the man and the, with, the, with the withered hand, so he needs healing, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Jesus, I thought you were a Christian. He is a Christian. He's the Christ. And he's angry. Looked around with anger. And he goes on to heal the man, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched out, and his hand was restored. Jesus uses his anger toward boldness. It's okay to be calculated cranky. Do something with it. God wants you to be calculated cranky that your friends have a belly full of rice. They think they found the answer in their riches or in their kids or in whatever false god they're worshiping. He wants you to get calculated cranky and do something about it with boldness and specificity. Next verse, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Can you all say that with me on count three? You're very religious. One, two, three. You are very religious. That's really interesting. For as I passed along and observed the objects of worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, it's Jesus. The God who made the, the world and everything in it being Lord, that's Jesus of heaven and earth, as Jesus does not live in temples made by man. He says, you're very religious. He says, you don't have a religion problem. You don't have a worship problem. As a matter of fact, you got all sorts of religion. As a matter of fact, you're worshiping all sorts of things. It's a specificity problem. And I would argue today that we don't have a religion problem. Everybody, all of your friends, all of your family, sometimes you, you're worshiping something. You have religion. I mean, what is worship? Worship is that which you put your supreme hope in. You offer your body as a living sacrifice to, right? So we all worship things. It doesn't need to be Jesus. People are worshiping right now. They're worshiping all sorts of things. People are going to worship at 1 p.m., 1 p.m., they're going to worship. The, the, the altar is a stadium or a big screen TV. They're singing chants in worship. Look, the other night, my daughter caught me. It was uh, ten, like 9 p.m. Uh, after the Eagles scored. I know the whole Eagles fight chant song. She's like, Daddy, why were you singing in the basement by yourself last night? Uh, we, we, we develop chants. We develop worship toward these teams, right? You can worship anything. We don't have a worship and a religion problem. I believe that atheists are worshiping. So, so worship is that what you put your supreme hope in. Religion is that what you build your life around. Many atheists build their life about, around debating and arguing and worshiping these four guys called the four horsemen. These guys who are uh, talking to Christians. They write books about Christians. They write books on why there isn't a Christ. And they worship those guys. Just talk to them. 
And once you mention Jesus, watch him get all riled up. And you got to think, what you all riled up for? What are you angry about? If there is no God, you ain't got to worry about it. But you know what they're worried about? They're worried that their supreme hope is in the fact that there is no God. And there could be a chance that there is a good God out there, that he is loving, and that all of this is somehow not his fault because we have free will. That's what they're worried about. That's what they get all hyped up about. What are you so cranky about? It's not even calculated cranky. They're just cranky. If there's no God, just chill. Get yourself some ice cream, man. No big deal. We don't have a religious problem. Some of us worship our kids. I'm, I'm in danger of that all the time. The altar is my kid's soccer field, and I could be there three times a week if I choose to. They're, my religion for my kids is they're just dominating every schedule, feeding them whatever they want. Every day my daughter walks up to me, my mellow, she just wants marshmallows. If I, I just worship, I can just give her whatever she wants. I can give the kids whatever they want, and I can worship them. That could be my religion, that could be my worship. And, and, and where's Jesus in all that? It's not a worship problem. It's a specificity problem. And again, our friends, our people, they have this God-sized hole. It's, it's so empty. It's, 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 it's a soul-sized hole. And only Jesus can fill it. They're trying to fill it with everything, with the buffet of the culture. And they can't fill it. And it's, us to, it's up to us to creep into that and say, look, there's only one answer. Boldness. Jesus. And specificity. Jesus only. And not some of Jesus. Not his leg. Not his arm. Not... Just Sundays, but all of Jesus. He's Lord, he's God, he's King of kings, he's Lord of lords, he sits on a throne. He, he doesn't want to just be an accessory in your life, he wants to be everything in your life. That's the answer, the specificity and the boldness of Jesus. And we have to speak that when God opens a door for us. We have to say it. And it's unpopular. Watch this. I remember, remember when I told you that some were a babbler? Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said... Right, they said there was, he was a babbler. We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among who were also Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now let me tell you something about these people. Dionysus is rumored in, in church uh, tradition to be the new bishop. He ends up being the bishop of Athens, meaning he's, he's the person that starts to... Uh, 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 lead churches, start churches, plant churches. We got a bishop in the back row. His name's Yathus back there. Thank you, bishop. Thank you, bishop. He doesn't like to be called bishop, but we just call him to make him feel uncomfortable. Give him a parking spot. He's going to get one outside. We're going to call him a bishop Yathus. All right, that, that's what the bishop. So, so some people believe that Dionysus is that. Uh, some people believe that uh, these other people are the first, these are scholars. I'm not just saying some people. Uh, scholars believe that these people are the core group that starts a church in Athens. So yes, some believe that Paul is a babbler, but some start a new work, start a new church, start a city life right in the heart of Athens. Don't let your fear of being the babbler stop you from bringing gospel change, gospel movement in your city. Who says you can't be Damaris or Dionysus the Areopagite? Well, you're never going to be if you're afraid of being the babbler. Don't let it cripple you. I love that Paul steps into a culture even when they're possibly hostile toward him, even when they could chop off his head or stone him again or 
He probably still got some scars. I don't, I don't know. It's up to us to carry that, that forth, that, that feeling of boldness. Like, when did it become shameful to talk about Jesus? You ever think about that? And worship team, you can come up here. I'm, I'm, I'm ending soon, or just Ryan, actually. When did it become shameful? When did Jesus' name start coming out of our mouth and we start to feel ashamed? Anybody feel like this? Can we just be honest in church today? And we say it like, Jesus. You know, it's like it's coming out like, oh, should, should I reel it back in? I think we should confess today. Um, I, and I'm not going to make you come up here and confess on, on stage, but, but I'll confess for you that sometimes when I hear that scripture that if I don't, if I don't own Jesus, he's not going to own me. Like, if I'm ashamed of the Father, he'll be ashamed. Jesus will be ashamed before the Father. The Spirit will be ashamed before the Father of me. When I hear that, I go, oh, oh man. Because there are definitely times where I'm ashamed. We have to go to the root of that. Let's stand up. Let's, let's, let's confess something this morning in front of God. We want gospel movement. Pray with me. We want gospel movement, Jesus. We want gospel movement, Jesus. We want change. And not all change is good. We don't just want any change. We want gospel change. The change that sweeps across a city, heals people, heals marriages, heals relationships, loves the poor, loves the broken, loves the lost. We want that kind of change. We want gospel movement. So God, we confess that we've been ashamed of your name and we're sorry. We ask for boldness. We ask for us to be ticked off in the spirit. For us to be calculated cranky. And when we see that, we decide we're going to do something about it. We're going to tell somebody about Jesus, even if it means they think we're the babbler. God, we'll step out. Send us. Help us find strength in each other. Help us find strength in numbers. Help us find strength in being filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Look, uh, one last thing. Like, this, this city is, the other cities might kill Paul, but this city is just like ours in the sense that the main form of persecution is embarrassment. That's all we got. That's, that's all we're in danger of here. People are dying for Jesus out there. But here, our main form of persecution is embarrassment, being called the babbler. So I have a feeling Jesus is like, y'all ain't got no excuse. I can see it if you're going to get crucified. I, I, maybe I can see that. But we don't have an excuse when the only thing is embarrassment. Like someone be like, oh, you're weird. That's it. That's it. Let's worship. As we worship, I, I encourage you uh, to confess with your mouth. You can whisper it and say, God, I'm sorry. You can ask him for something new. Worship is not just a time where you sing. It's a time where you talk to Jesus. And so I encourage you to talk to Jesus uh, during this last song.